All right, so we are a community that is devoted to the person and purposes of Jesus. That is who we are as Vineyard City Church. And we just got done with The Narrow Way, which was talking about discipleship to Jesus. And discipleship is apprenticeship. Uh, Jesus is the teacher. We are the students. And we all understand the idea, but oftentimes we don't associate this with Christianity. What does it mean to be a Christian is not necessarily followed with. It means to be a disciple. But this is all throughout the New Testament. And again, we get this idea because we see it all throughout culture that there is a teacher and there is a student. So you know that Obi-Wan is the teacher and then Luke is the student. And so we, we get the idea, but again, whether or not we think of ourselves as, as being disciples of Jesus is the, the thing that we're aiming at. So the way that we look at this in our church is breaking down our lives as followers of Christ into three distinct areas. Up is my relationship with God, in is my relationship with my faith community, and then out is my relationship with people who are outside of my community. So you have up, spend time reading the Bible every day, every week, every week spend one hour in listening, contemplative prayer, and in every day bless someone in your community. Every week a practice could be eat a meal with someone in your community. And then out every day reflect on where you partnered or resisted the Holy Spirit in your life and then every week eat a meal with someone outside of your community so in terms of discipleship again we try and break it down into three areas up in and out and how we use our time to be able to live out these values uh, that the new testament uh, describes and demonstrates to us so when we read the New Testament, it has some major themes in it, and it has a lot of other smaller themes, but two big themes within it is one is the gospel, and the gospel being that Jesus dies for us. He dies for our sins. He takes our sin and our death upon him. He dies upon the cross. He dies our death. He takes his, our, our sins upon him and then is resurrected from the dead, and now we can have forgiveness of sin and death in him. So that is a huge theme, if not the theme, of the New Testament. But second, discipleship to Jesus, you and I following him together. He is the teacher. We are the student. We want to try and model our lives after his life. And so Jesus is the substance of God's message, and then discipleship is the way that he gets the message out to the world. So in doing this new series of sermons, we're going to zoom in on discipleship. What does it mean to really follow Jesus? And so what we're going to do is for the next few weeks, we're going to look at the example from Paul's writing on discipleship, which is out of Titus. And so when we read that scripture earlier today, and someone's reading from Titus, and it's like, well, it's an interesting passage to read, um, but it's all about discipleship, and it's the internal workings of what discipleship means to Paul and to the early church. And so today we're going to be looking at Paul and Titus, the internal workings of what discipleship means to Paul and the early church, and then how this church accomplishes discipleship in the here and now, because we are um, also accomplishing discipleship and being students of Jesus, but at the same time, giving people opportunity to also be involved and be disciples of Jesus here at this church. Um, 
So Titus is a really small book. Um, it only has three chapters to it. But there was one point in time in my life where I think I literally read it for two months straight. Just these three chapters over and over and over and over again. And one of the main verses in it that just sticks out to me, um, and I honestly read this again today because I'm just going through it again, is Titus 2.1. As for you, Titus, promote the kind of living that reflects right teaching. And I, I love this verse. It's totally simple, but a profound idea, and is at the core of what Paul believes about discipleship. As for you, Titus, promote the kind of living that reflects right teaching. So when we think about this, how you live your life tells me what you believe. How I live my life tells you what I believe. For example, um, there's a scripture that I think a lot of us have heard from people who might not even follow Jesus. Love your neighbor as yourself. I think most of us have probably heard that. Jesus said that. And so when we think about promoting the kind of living that reflects right teaching, I can know a thing, but I don't necessarily have to do a thing. And so when we think about that, you don't need to ask me whether or not I love my neighbor. This is why this is very important. Don't ask me whether or not I love my neighbor. Go and ask my neighbor whether or not I love them. That's where the rub comes in all of this. That my life will reflect what it is that I believe. And if you do that on my street, I'll point you to the neighbor that I want you to ask. Promote the kind of living that reflects right teaching. So Paul, um, and this is a statue from his basilica, which means church in Rome. Um, Paul impacts a lot of theology. And theology means what we believe about God in the New Testament. But Paul is also committed to this idea of discipleship, of inviting other people with him along the journey to go and do the things that he's doing and the things that Jesus is inviting him into. So again, looking at Titus, we're getting a very, even a more zoomed in idea of what discipleship looks like. So let's read. We're going to be reading Titus chapter 1, verses 1 through 9 today, if I can get it, sorry. Titus 1, uh, verses 1 through 9. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ to further the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness. In the hope of eternal life, which God, who does not lie, promised from the beginning of time, and which now, at this appointed season, he has brought to light through the preaching entrusted to me by the command of God our Savior. To Titus, my true son in our common faith, Grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. The reason I left you in Crete was that you might put in order what was left unfinished and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. An elder must be blameless, faithful to his wife, a man whose children believe and are not open to the charge of being wild and disobedient. Since an overseer manages God's household, he must be blameless, not overbearing, not quick-tempered, not given to drunkenness, not violent, not pursuing dishonest gain. Rather, he must be hospitable, 
one who loves what is good, who is self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. So we get this glimpse of what discipleship means to uh, Paul. First, what we see is that Paul has discipled Titus. And I think that we can overlook this and actually think it's not this big of a deal, but it was really a big deal. That Paul, somewhere along the line, met this individual whose name was Titus, and he said, young man, follow me. Come and be my disciple. He invited him into this relationship, and I think it's very easy to overlook that that's what Paul does. Titus, who he references as my true son in our common faith, so they have this deep relationship with one another. And Titus is a Greek Gentile, and so he's not a Jew. And so if you're interested in any of those things, uh, Paul is a Jew, Jesus, uh, Jesus was and still is a Jew. And so as we start to see Greeks coming into the fold, Titus is a Greek Gentile. We don't really know a great deal about Titus, even though there's a letter addressed to him, but we can assume several things about him. First is he believes in Jesus. And that might seem straightforward, but it's, it's good to note. And so he believes in Jesus, the one true way. He spends a great deal of time with Paul in the relationship of discipleship to the point that at some point in time, uh, Paul entrusts him with a great work. So they have spent a great deal of time together, and he's matured to such a point that Paul allows him to go and work on his own and not just some small task. He's not, hey... The printer ran out of paper, man. Can you change that? Um, he sends him off to this island in Greece on his own to go and appoint elders of all of the churches that are on the island. And so when the New Testament says churches, I want to make sure and clarify this, that it's essentially talking about small groups, like small churches, people that met in each other's homes. Um, church did not look like this uh, when Titus was around, and the average size was about 10 to 50 people inside of a home. So that's what he would have been talking about in terms of go to these churches, small little tiny house churches for the most part. So Paul says, the reason I left you in Crete is to appoint elders in every congregation. Again, if the substance of the message is Jesus, then God's plan A to deliver that message is discipleship. Paul lives with Titus. Titus will now, by the way he lives his life, reflect right teaching, Jesus is the way, to others who will then go and do the same. So you see this progression happening that Paul invites Titus to live with him. Titus is now going to live with these other people, reflect right teaching by the way that he lives, and appoint elders in these small churches. It's a really big deal. I mean, amazingly enough, 2,000 years ago, I mean, would this church even exist if these people didn't do this 2,000 years ago? It's an amazing thought. Like, they really did this. This is real history, real lives, passing this down from generation to generation to generation. So they're essentially fulfilling the Great Commission. And this is what Jesus, we refer to as the great uh, commission from Jesus out of Matthew 28, 19 through 20. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, 
baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And so this tradition of discipleship starts with Jesus when he says go. I think probably one of the bigger mistakes that we end up making is replacing the word disciple with Christian. Oh, they're going to go make Christians. No. Yes, but no. <laughs> yes, in that people are going to come to faith and become Christians, but discipleship, disciples, people who believe and obey, people who follow Christ, people who give their life to Christ each hour, each day, and that they follow the Master. And so when he says the word disciple, no one is confused about what discipleship meant because three, you know, Jesus lived with them for three years and gave them an example of what discipleship looked like. Living life with one another, eating together, even though it sounds funny, like today's potluck, right? Eating together, spending time together, life on life, discipleship, that is Jesus' master plan of evangelism which happens to be a book that I love. This is probably, if you wanted to know anything about me, um, this is probably, when I read this book, it changed my life. It's a very small book, um, because when I read it, I, you know, when I read it, I was like, okay, it's going to be about how do, how do we go to Africa and get as many people as we can together, and we're just going to get up on a stage, and we're going to tell everybody about Jesus. That wasn't Jesus' master plan of evangelism. Jesus' master plan of evangelism was inviting 12 people to walk with him every single day to watch what he did. And then when Jesus dies, those 12 people then went out and they made other disciples and invited them into that life to eat together, to spend time together, to watch how uh, the leaders were living their life. This is a quote from uh, the book, which evidently I think everyone should read. Having called his men, Jesus made it a practice to be with them. This was the essence of his training program, just letting his disciples follow him. Amazing as it may seem, all Jesus did to teach these men his way was to draw them close to himself. He was his own school and curriculum. They didn't go to seminary. He was seminary. Following him each and every day, the greatest invitation in the New Testament, is that Jesus still invites us to this day to follow him. Again, this is his master plan of evangelism. Jesus disciples the twelve. Paul gets radically transformed by Jesus. And then we see this all throughout the New Testament. I think we, just call, we don't understand what it means. Generally, in what we would call, what is called iconography, which is just ancient pictures of people, icons, the guy on the left is Barnabas. And so in the book of Acts, what we see is Barnabas, when Paul gets saved, it's this big to-do because Paul is out there, he's killing Christians. He's like, you can't be saying this Jesus guy is the Messiah. So Paul's killing Christians and then he gets radically saved. So you have to imagine like a guy that was killing Christians all of a sudden walks into your church and he's like, I'm saved. And everyone, I mean, everyone's freaking out. But Barnabas... Barnabas, the guy on the left with hair, because generally in these pictures, Paul shows up as a bald guy. 
the guy, Barnabas says, I'll, I'll disciple him. I'll walk with him. And so we see this in the book of Acts. We see like Barnabas and Paul, although it says Saul, but it's Paul. Barnabas and Paul, Barnabas and Paul, Barnabas and Paul. And then all of a sudden it switches and it's Paul and Barnabas. So Paul learns enough along the way that now he is the one. And so then Paul sets out to make disciples of all nations. How? By preaching to the crowd sometimes. But what is his master plan of evangelism? And he tells us in another beautiful and difficult scripture, right? 1 Corinthians 11.1, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Which all sounds great until you read it to yourself. And you have to work through all of that. Can I actually say that to someone else? Follow my example as I follow Christ. Because guess what? There's a lot of embarrassing things that happen along that road. And that's okay. Because guess what? That's all part of discipleship. We all kind of just get to be embarrassed together and accomplish together and fail together. So Jesus to Barnabas, Barnabas to Paul, Paul to Titus, and, and Titus to appointing elders in every town. Again, life-on-life life discipleship. Again, this isn't anything new. What is new? Dune Part 2 coming out this Thursday night. That's what's new. Is that good? That's really good, man. Like, really good. Okay? Who's watching Dune Part 1 at his house for two and a half hours? And then going directly to watch Doom Part 2, right here. I want you to know that on Thursday, follow me as I follow Christ. I'm not joking. Right now, I'm spending a solid five and a half hours of Dune, pure Dune, on Thursday. So should you. So this idea of discipleship, we get it. I mean, no, no, we really do. We see it all the time, but we don't think about ourselves as being the disciples. And we don't see Jesus as being the teacher, right? So who do we have here? We have Gurney and Duke Leto Atreides. That's who I have. That's who I'm watching this Thursday. Gurney, he, he teaches like military stuff. And, and, and so Alito Atreides is like the leader of this uh, people and all these things. And, and so what we see is then they disciple Paul Atreides. We see it all the time in movies, over and over and over again, right? So Paul's this young man, he doesn't know anything, he doesn't know how to fight, he doesn't know how to lead. But these older people take him in and they show him, come here, young man, I'll show you how to do this. Like, yeah, that's awesome. I wish I had someone to teach me. And Jesus is like, follow me, follow me, follow me. So we see it all the time. And we love it. Go watch Dune. So, back to the text. When we think about this idea of um, what must an elder know? And so when we read this text, we're like, what must an elder know? How, and knowing is really important. It really is. But as we dive into the text, we'll see um, that knowing is just still half the battle. 
by G.I. Joe's keys to success, right? Knowing is half the battle, but then you got the other half of the battle that you have to contend with. So knowing is important. And when we start to unpack what it is that Paul says, this is really interesting. Paul isn't necessarily concerned about what an elder knows. He's very concerned about who an elder is. And that is a major difference. So this is really important because knowing is what we would call um, orthodoxy. I don't know. We have got to get that changed. So orthodoxy, again, knowing is right belief. Do I believe the right things? That generally is important. Like I can answer a test. Uh, who's the son of God? Jesus, right? So orthopraxy is right action. Do, do I do the right things? And then orthopathy is right feeling. So again, orthodoxy, love your neighbor as yourself. Orthopraxy, do I actually love my neighbor? And orthopathy, how do I feel when I'm loving my neighbor? Because if I'm actually just going over to my neighbor's house, so it, right, and I'm mowing their lawn, am I doing it passive aggressively? Because I could know the right thing to do. I could be doing the right thing, loving my neighbor. But inside my head the whole time, I'm all believe you're not mowing your lawn. But all of these things are really important to Jesus because our thoughts, what I think, what I believe, my actions are important. But then how I feel about that, because I don't think it's news to anyone. We can pretend like we're acting nice, right? We call it passive aggressive. Jesus is as interested in the whole of us, and that's why discipleship is at the center of this. So again, Paul says, promote the kind of living that reflects right teaching. So when he describes what it is that or who an elder is, it's important that we take note of that. And it says this, an elder must be blameless, faithful to his wife, a man whose children believe and are uh, not open to the charge of being wild and disobedient. Since an overseer manages God's household, he must be blameless, not overbearing, not quick-tempered, not given to drunkenness, not violent, not pursuing dishonest gain. Rather, he must be hospitable, one who loves what is good, who is self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. First off, this is addressed to men only, but I want to make note that within the vineyard, we affirm that both men and women can be elders and both men and women can be pastors. Okay, just so you know. So when it says he, um, we would also put in there that if you are a woman that wanted to be an elder or a pastor, that that is open to you as well. So who must they be? Paul draws from one place, and that's the family. This is really interesting. He doesn't draw from like um, LinkedIn or what's your seminary degree or all these things. Paul focuses in on one area. If you want to see who an individual is, how they lead, look one place. That's the family. And everyone with teenagers is like, that would be really not good. <laughs> because discipleship happens in a family, whether we like it or not. Uh, a couple of things in terms of di discipleship that have really stood out to me. Uh, sorry, let me get back to this. Other one, discipleship is more caught than taught. When I think about my family, right, I can tell them, because I said so, 
Do what I say, not as I do. All these things. Discipleship is more caught than taught. Spending time with people, watching how they live. This other one, in terms of discipleship, and certainly in terms of like how your children act, you will reproduce who you are, not who you want to be. Your kids do not see who you want to be. Your kids only see who you are. I judge my actions by my intentions. You can only judge my actions by what it is that I do. That's why this is so important, that my kids will actually see the good, the bad, and the ugly of me. And so Paul says, look at the family. So how a person leads their family will tell you a good deal about them as a leader and, and a follower of Jesus. So a good question. Someone says like, hey, can a person, can so-and-so lead a church or this? Look at their family. Um, show me how you lead your family. And ultimately, that's how you will lead anything else that you lead. From the master plan of evangelism. Preaching to the masses, although necessary, will never suffice in the work of preparing leaders for evangelism, nor can occasional prayer meetings and training classes for Christian workers do this job. Building men and women is not that easy. It requires constant personal attention, much like a father or mother gives to their children. This is something that no organization or class can ever do. Children are not raised by proxy. The example of Jesus would teach us that it can be done only by persons staying close to those whom they seek to lead. Again, follow me as I follow Christ. Paul taking Titus and then releasing him. Again, what, how Titus would have only reproduced what he saw Paul doing because he spent time with him. So this idea of what discipleship is. So how, how does this church accomplish discipleship here and now? And I can only share in short um, about how that's accomplished. In reality, in my mind, the way that I live out my life, everything we do at this church is centered about, around one thing, and that is to accomplish discipleship. That's it. We exist to help people meet Christ and to make disciples. Our mission at the church is to make disciples who make disciples. Because, again, it's not just enough to be able to say, like, we make disciples, because a disciple of Christ is really not a disciple of Christ until they start making more disciples. That's what it means. That's what we say, see in the New Testament. So at the vineyard, the vineyard large, not just this church, but the vineyard around the world, one of the things that we say is that everybody gets to play. Meaning that anyone here, if you wanted to be involved, in any way that you wanted to be involved, you can be involved. I cannot guarantee whether or not that will work out. You're like, I love worshiping. It's like, awesome. I want to be on the worship team. Yes, everybody gets to play. You guys ever seen those uh, American Idol videos where they get up there and they sing and they're just like really bad singers and then they say the most classic line of all, but my mom and dad told me I was the best singer ever. <laughs> Everybody gets to play just because you're passionate about it and your mom and dad told you you were the best at something, which I'm pretty sure every mom and dad tells their kids for the most part. If we come here and you're singing and you can't sing, again, you're just somewhere else. We just take that passion somewhere else. 
So everybody gets to play. The other thing is too, and this is really important, as we do the process of discipleship in the church, mistakes will be made. And the reason I'm saying mistakes will be made, you're allowing people to do things that they're not necessarily qualified to do yet. And so mistakes will be made. And that's okay. In our household, I don't know where I thought of this. I'm sure someone smarter than me told me to do this. We never got, the kids never got in trouble for making mistakes. No matter how big. Right? Never. Because it's a mistake. You just don't know. You just like unplug the refrigerator and everything's spoiled. It was by mistake. You were cleaning back there. You didn't know. No one ever got in trouble for making a mistake. Like for real. They've even had to tell me that. Dad, you're not in trouble. It was a mistake. I'm like, thank you so much. So happy I did that. All right, here's the deal. But mistakes will be made. So let me kind of give some example. This morning, my son led us in worship because I'm going to bring it like really in. I'm really going to show you how this actually works. So we realized at some point in time that Jonathan had some musical ability. And so I'm like, you know, I think we need to just start kind of pushing him in the direction of leading worship. I think that this would be something he would be good at. So we allowed him to sing one song, right? He was on the team. He's back there playing the guitar. And then he's singing one song. And I'm sure at some point in time, it's okay, but probably everyone here was like, yo, it's just so cute, they're letting him do that, and his voice is changing, and oh, okay, this is great. Um, but he's gotten, a, he's gotten a lot better. And one of the things that I had to tell my son this morning is, um, you cannot keep doing the same songs, dude. Stop. Like we've heard, and some of you are like, well, this is my first time here, so I've never heard these songs. But for those of us that are here, we're like, but that's what he's comfortable doing. I'm more, I'm more interested in the process of discipleship with him. But he's, he's gotten so much better. Um, and again, we're trying to allow space for people to develop Mistakes will be made. These are the people who are doing things might not be the, the, the best at doing them, but we're more interested in helping people to develop those skills that they feel like God is calling them into. That is the, the single most important thing that's going on here. So the other day he was leading worship. I mean, even, even today he tells me, I mean, this is no joke. This is today. He says, Dad, I'm going to say something before before I before we worship and I'm like dear God what are you gonna say and I'm like tell me and then I said don't tell me don't tell me just do it and so he was praying but like telling us to sit and stand at the same time I'm like what is he doing and then he comes back and he's like I'm gonna do that differently next time there's it's okay that's okay he's never done that before you've never done what you might like to do before and it's okay to make mistakes so here recently, he was leading worship, and he came to me and he said, Dad, I just felt so warm inside when I was singing. I, I literally, Dad, I felt like I cried for a long time, and it just felt so good. And, and I'm like, dude, that's the Holy Spirit, man. And then I got to keep listening to the same sets. And he's like, I'm going to say something before worship. I'm like, okay, dude, don't tell me. Just do it. We'll talk about it later. Um, so another example of this is James. Raise your hand, James. 
James is our Sunday morning director here, in case you didn't, in, in, didn't know that. So here previously, there's been a couple weeks where we're sitting here and waiting for the transition of the slides, and we're like, who's doing slides? Well, that's James' responsibility. But James has never done this job before. But we're giving a he's doing this because he wants to learn how to do these things, get into leadership. How, how does this happen? And so it, it's this wonderful process. Again, he's learning how to do time management skills because he's a manager at a restaurant, how to schedule, um, and learning how to lead other people. Mistakes will be made. That's cool. That's great. I, I, I don't want to be in a church where mistakes weren't being made by people who are learning how to do things. That's awesome. Um, so we're here to worship, pray, fellowship, connect, eat together. Yes, underneath it all, discipleship is happening. And the invitation is you can be as involved in this as you want to or you don't have to. I mean, last, how is our church involved in um, discipleship? So here's the thing. We, we had this up there um, it, we're in, and you'll just have to believe me that this is an opportunity for you to participate and not me uh, asking for money because I need money. Um, James, Richie, and then there's Emma and Jacob who are not here. These are all people, J uh, Emma and Jacob are helping out with our Sunday school. They went through the Sunday, or not the Sunday school, the youth group. And so they were a part of the youth group. And someone asked them, they said, hey, do you want to help lead youth group? And um, John and Erica were like, everyone's going to say no. And uh, Jacob and Emma said, we do want to help. Like, this is awesome. Not because we need help, but because these people want to be involved. They want to learn and how to grow, right? Richie is um, helping out with the men's ministry, and that's why the guys last time made sugar scrubs, because Richie's like, I want a sugar scrub. <laughs> I'm just joking. <laughs> And James, right, these guys are just kind of like new in their relationship with Christ, growing and what it means to be a disciple. And so they're going to the national conference um, with the vineyard, which honestly, if it was just me, I'm like, oh, man, I, I don't know that I would go. But they all want to go. And I'm like, I'm going. This is so awesome. The young believers, young people wanting to go. I'm like, yes. So we're doing a special offering on... March 10th, to help them get there. So Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Always has been, always will be. Um, no one comes to salvation apart from him. Straight up. His words and my words, but mostly his words. Jesus invites us to follow him, and we call that discipleship. Being a disciple of Christ. And then we invite others to follow us as we follow Christ. That's the next level, right? Like John Wimber used to say, the meat is in the street. I went to church today and I didn't get fed. Well, you know what? The meat's in the street, man. You want the meat? Go do the stuff. You want the meat? Invite someone to hang out with you regularly as you follow Christ. <laughs> You're like, whoa, <laughs> this is a lot of meat. Need some vegetables. We allow for mistakes to be made at this church in order to make disciples who make disciples. It's what we do, and it's what we'll keep doing. Um, so that others... I don't know when Jesus is coming back. Like, truly, I don't. But if he doesn't come back for a while, 
Interestingly enough, 2,000 years ago, some people said yes to Jesus and started making disciples. That invitation is still here to this day. That for us, that Jesus is inviting us into this relationship with him, that we make disciples that make disciples, that if he doesn't come back for another 2,000 years, that there will be disciples then to be able to carry the torch that Jesus is the way, the life, and the truth. It's pretty cool. Okay, we do communion. We do this every single Sunday. Communion is what took place at the Last Supper with Jesus. The elements, which are a cracker and wine, these are the elements that Jesus set up as the sign of the covenant between God and us. A covenant is essentially a promise, a contract per se. And so these are the signs of the covenant. My wedding ring is a covenantal sign. It means that I'm married, that I'm married to Linda. And so uh, the, the, the elements, which are bread and fruit, um, are, are very significant because the kingdom of God, this, the elements of the kingdom are everyday items because everyone, I think, has some form of bread and some form of fruit within their home. This is important because God didn't set up the signs or the, the elements of the covenant to be silver, gold, uh, diamonds, all of these things that are exclusive only to a small group of people, but these are everyday things for everyday people, which we, we are. We're everyday people. That's good. So the way that we do this, that if you are a follower of Jesus, or if you would like to start following Jesus today, that today you're like, you know what, I want to follow him. Then you come forward and you grab a piece of the cracker, you dip it into the wine, we come down the center aisle here, and then we go around the sides like this. We hold on to the elements together, and then we will all partake together. So if you are a follower of Jesus, or if you want to start following Jesus today, please come forward. Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for your life. We thank you for your death. We thank you for your resurrection. We thank you that you have given us the opportunity to have a new life. To be forgiven of all of our sins. And that now we stand before you clean, alive, your loved children. We thank you for your forgiveness. We thank you for everything that you give us, your body and your blood. Let's partake. Won't we all stand? I'm going to pray a prayer blessing over us. Um, I did want to mention that um, mistakes will be made. And so if someone came up to me and said, hey, you said like really funny things about your son and James, but you never said that how proud of you you are of them. So again, mistakes will be made. Um, you're like, I'm never doing anything in this church because Sean's just going to like say funny things about me. Um, 
I could not be more proud of my son. I could not be more proud of James, Richie, and everyone else who is helping out. Um, so I apologize for not sharing that and just sharing funny things. Um, all right, I'm going to pray a prayer of blessing over us. And then afterwards, what we do is, if you wanted prayer for anything, uh, we would love to pray for you in the vineyard. We believe that laying hands on people uh, is just something that we see in the New Testament. And the Holy Spirit just does something in that moment. Even yesterday, I was praying for a friend of mine, and uh, God gave me this prophetic word, and it was so spot on for him. He just broke down, started crying, and it was just really a healing moment for him. Um, so if you want a prayer for something specific, I invite you to come up uh, for that. Well, Lord, we thank you for this time. We thank you for your word. We thank you for Titus. We thank you that Titus 2,000 years ago followed you, followed Paul, and went to the island of Crete, and he appointed elders in every town, that he was faithful with that work. God, we thank you that in your word we're able to read about this and learn what it means to follow you. And we thank you for a group of friends and family to be able to do this with, that we're not alone, that we get to learn from one another. We get to learn from one another and follow one another as we follow after you. Holy Spirit, I ask that uh, you would strengthen us, fill us, empower us, that you would protect us as we go out and we love our neighbor as ourselves, and that we would be able to demonstrate your kingdom to as many people as we can. And so we thank you and we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, if you want a prayer, please come on up. If not, we are having the potluck downstairs.